I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oklahoma drops the final uh, championship series against UCLA in the Women's College World Series. Big, big time uh, recruiting news for the Sooners on the football front. Uh, and how about some frustration and maybe even a little bit of heartbreak uh, looking at Oklahoma football memories. What's up, everyone? I am Matt Hofeld flying solo right now uh, because, well, I'm flying solo. I, out. Uh, you guys know if you keep up with the podcast, uh, I travel a lot. Not able to connect with Rich this week, and we're even late in delivering the podcast to you. But here we are. Uh, Welcome to Sooner Nation Podcast, the online podcast for Heartland Sports. Heartland-sports.com is where you can find us on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. Um, No secret by now that you know this. Oklahoma drops. They get swept um, by UCLA in the championship series of the Women's College World Series doesn't at all uh, diminish the accomplishments of this team second consecutive year to go undefeated in the Big 12. That's a clean sweep of the Big 12 two years in a row. Uh, just a star-studded, talented team. And the reality is, you know, this senior class, these, this group that's, you know, led by Sidney Romero and uh, Shay Knighton uh, playing their final games for the Sooners there in Oklahoma City at the Women's College World Series. You know, you want to see them go out with a with a championship, but the reality is these ladies are leaving Norman with two national championships, four World College uh, appearances. There's not a lot you can ask for uh, for a collegiate career. Of course, you always want to win. Of course, you always want to be able to say that you were the champion, you were on top of your game when you went out. You want to win it every year, but realistically – that's just not the case. And, and the reality is when Oklahoma met UCLA in that championship series, I do believe that the system provided us the two best teams for the championship series. But the reality is once you get to that championship series, UCLA was that much better. They, they were just better than Oklahoma. You, you look at that, just that monstrosity of a first game where it, it was home run after home run after home run off from what has been clean, dominating pitching from Oklahoma to the competitive nature of the second game with Shea Knight and hitting the home run in the in the top of the seventh to maybe push that into extras to UCLA finally walking it off in the bottom of the seventh. You got to credit the Bruins. Hands down, best team in the country. I do believe Oklahoma, hands down, the second best team in the country. And now if, if you're Patty Gasso, you're looking at filling in some gaps. Who who replaces uh, Shea Knighton at third base? Who replaces Folly Avu um, in in left field and, and so forth down the list for these four seniors that were just key contributors 
on this squad. You've got young talent. You, you've got, uh, you know, Patty Gasso gets gets kids to come play, you know, with the best of the coaches in the nation. And, and you look at the, the transfer success that they've had with pitchers like Giselle Juarez and uh, Shannon Sale and, and the, the, the development of a Mariah Lopez. So it's going to be a group that is super talented for the pitching circle again next year. It's going to be a group that's fairly young still. I mean, your your stud from the plate is going to be Jocelyn Allo, who's going to be a junior. You you look at uh, you know Grace Green, who had a phenomenal freshman campaign. She's going to be a sophomore, so you're fairly young still. Um, but you, you do have some major uh, major holes to fill, and and I'm curious to see what Patty Gasso does um, this summer as she travels, as she recruits, as she tries to put this squad together. And let's not forget that Giselle Juarez was a late addition. She didn't even announce that she was transferring from Arizona State to Norman until the fall semester was almost over with. Didn't even arrive to Norman until January, but ended up playing an integral part of this team making it back to the Women's College World Series. That gap is going to close a little bit, I believe, uh, in the Big 12 next season. Between This year, it was Oklahoma. There was a step down uh, between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. And then, I, in my opinion, nationally, people don't believe this because a lot of people had Texas higher than Oklahoma State nationally. But in my opinion, based off what we saw on the field between the two teams, based off their appearances in the postseason uh, you know, Oklahoma State goes to to Tallahassee and knocks off the number one team, uh, the defending national champion. I guess Oklahoma was the number one team, but the defending national champion, Florida State. There was a step down between Oklahoma State and Texas, um, and and that's you know that's just the way it is. But those those steps become a little bit less significant next season. But I still think there's there's no way Oklahoma doesn't enter the preseason as the favorites to win the Big Twelve once again. You listen to the Sooner Nation podcast. Big recruiting news for Oklahoma on the football front. We'll talk about that next. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So if you follow Lincoln Riley, you're familiar with the... Um, the eyeball emoji tweets that he puts out there, basically meaning we, we've landed a recruit in Oklahoma doing what they do uh, quite often, reaches down into the state of Texas, even in Texas A&M's backyard uh, for one of them, but lands two, um, two recruits uh, this week. Uh, three-star receiver Brian Darby joins Oklahoma for 2020. Four-star running back Seth McGowan out of Mesquite, Texas, uh, joins Oklahoma. Uh, it's it's one of those situations when you look at Oklahoma football recruiting, the rich continue to get richer. Uh, Brian Darby right now, 20, uh, 10, 10 offers, uh, kind of the highlights there with Oklahoma where he's committed to now, uh, Arizona, Kansas state and Tulsa, 
a good mix. You know, Arizona out in the Pac-12, Kansas State in conference, Tulsa, uh, a team from the state of Oklahoma. But this is a kid out of College Station, Texas, three-star receiver, um, really in Texas A&M's backyard. And if you look at his profile, you kind of follow this kid a little bit, you won't see an offer from Texas A&M on this kid, which kind of makes you scratch your head just a little bit. But also keep in mind – that sometimes when when you, you when you know you don't have a chance, and I'm not a hundred percent saying this was the case for Darby, but the reality is when sometimes when you just you know you don't have a chance, you don't make that offer. We we've seen that with Oklahoma kids that we you know they're they're going to leave the state, they're going to go somewhere else, and so Oklahoma Oklahoma State will show some interest. But at the end of the day, you know that kid's going to Ohio State or they're going to Nebraska or they're, they're just going somewhere. They're leaving the state of Oklahoma uh, to go somewhere else. Sometimes you don't see that offer beside their name. That could be the case with Brian Darby um, out of College Station, Texas. But then again, it could just be that Texas A&M didn't want him. But you, you got to think if Lincoln Riley – and his offensive system is going to target this kid, a three-star receiver. If they're going to go after him and look at him and say, this is a kid that we, we want to make an offer to, it's a kid that you should probably probably have, you know, keep an eye on and, and figure, hey, uh, maybe something's up with this kid that we haven't found out yet, especially when he's in your own backyard. Now, now Darby, you know, he, he – he received an offer from Oklahoma on June 3rd. He committed to Oklahoma on June 6th. Not a not a large kid. I mean, not a small kid, but you know, when when you think of a the prototypical giant, you know, 6'4, 6'3, 6'2 wide receiver, Darby's not going to match up to that. He's going to be more along the lines of those smaller, smaller receivers. He's 5'11, 5'11 and a half, depending on how you look at it. 192 pounds. Um, but uh, it sounds to me like the kid is just one of those kids that found the perfect spot, found his offer, liked what he liked what he saw in Oklahoma. Who who doesn't like this offense, especially if you're a speed receiver? Uh, he's ranked um, as the 115th overall player in the state of Texas. Um, so, I mean, good pickup for Oklahoma. And if that wasn't enough, Oklahoma gets four-star running back Seth McGowan out of Mesquite, Texas to join the mix as well. On the same day, um, 27 offers as this kid already has. Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Texas, just amongst some of the other 26 schools outside of Oklahoma who have offered him. Um, and this kid is going to be dynamic. You, you can't you can't not like what you're seeing out of him. You can't not like what you see um, off of his tape, uh, off of his portfolio, so to speak. This kid is going to bring um, what we have seen in running backs at the University of Oklahoma. He he is that that typical kid who fits into Lincoln Riley's system and not only fits into Lincoln Riley's system, but when by all accounts has absolutely every bit of potential to go on and succeed in this system. He's got a, a five foot 11 frame, 215 pounds, um, number 13 running back nationally, uh, 25th um, running, 25th overall recruit from the state of Texas. Uh, you know, I, again, you, you look at, um, at what, what Oklahoma has done, not just with Lincoln Riley, but you, you just go back and, and you look at Oklahoma football. 
one of the things that has just been you look at the quarterbacks you look you look at the success going going all the way back you you, you go back to Josh Heupel you, you you go back to Jason White you, Sam Bradford you know on and on and on that list goes Landry Jones was was an underappreciated undervalued quarterback at the University of Oklahoma recent success with Baker Mayfield recent success with Kyler Murray one of the things that has been a con- constant with Oklahoma football has been great running back tandems. I, I mean, you, you can go back and and you can trace it. You know, I mean, for for every, I mean, you go back and think about the the days of Kiwan Jones. You go back and think about Adrian Peterson. You know, you you got Alan Patrick in that mix w- with those guys. You, you know, and, and again, a, a guy that's that's undervalued. You don't you you lose how good that guy was. Because of who he played with, you know, Samaj P. Ryan, Joe Mixon, you know, Chris Brown, you know, you think back and DeMarco Murray, you think back about these these tandems, these duos, and and both of them were really, really good. But one of them seems to stand out just a little bit more than the other. And that guy was the star, you know, and, and, and you, you think about the how much that impacts both what Oklahoma wants to do offensively, but also limits what their opponents want to do defensively. It's, it's important. It's huge. And, and you're going to see that you've seen that consistently at Oklahoma. You're going to see that again this coming year with Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon but you're also going to see that continue because when you look at this kid, Seth McGowan, the, the four-star running back who just committed to Oklahoma, well, guess what? Oklahoma already has a five-star running back in that class of 2020 in Jace McClellan. So you've got two highly coveted, highly talented running backs in the same class. And if you're the outsider looking in at Oklahoma's 2020 class, you're going, man, these guys are cleaning up with running backs. Well, you, well, you know what? That's just what Oklahoma does. They continually develop running backs, and and they develop them to a high level. What you're starting to see is an infiltration of running backs from the University of Oklahoma into the National Football League. I mean, and you don't have to look very far to find them. We already mentioned Joe Mixon. We already mentioned Samaj P. Ryan. You know, Adrian Peterson. That list is going to continue to grow, and as you're seeing – the University of Oklahoma have success with the quarterback. As you're seeing the University of Oklahoma have success at the wide receiver position, you see the University of Oklahoma have success at the offensive line position. One of the undervalued areas where the University of Oklahoma is really developing players at a high level, extremely successful, is at the running back position. And that's something that you see really start – to affect the recruiting when when you see a four star jump in with a five star because he knows hey you've already got a five star but I know your system I know how you run how you do your running backs and think about what 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 Oklahoma has put on the field just last year you had Rodney Anderson you had Trey Sermon you had Kennedy Brooks you had the Pledger kid this that's that's just four right there so if you're a highly talented running back you know that you have a chance to play regardless of who else is in that backfield. And and you look at the number of thousand yard rushers that the university of Oklahoma is putting out there. It's a number that that's significantly higher than what you would think 
just based off of the amount of publicity, guys like C.D. Lamb, guys like Hollywood Brown, guys like Kyler Murray, guys like Baker Mayfield, those guys are getting living in the limelight. But the reality is what's making their job a lot easier are the guys that are running between the tackles. And you're going to see that, again, continue with, uh, with Oklahoma as you look at this 2020 class continue to develop. Speaking of the 2020 class, uh, right now sitting at 10 commitments for the year. Uh, 24-7 Sports has them ranked number 10 nationally and the number one class in the Big 12. Obviously, you can't get better than number one uh, when you're talking conference-wise. But – I do think once the reevaluations go out and you you add these two uh, into Oklahoma's mix and you look at the, the the quality of the ten commitments that OU has for 2020, I would not be surprised to see them move up in the top ten a little bit higher uh, based off of the recent commitments. And, and when you look around the conference, here here's what's if I'm a if I'm an opposing coach. Let's say I'm new to West Virginia. I'm new to Texas Tech. Or if I'm an existing coach, I'm Mike Gundy. Um, I'm, I'm Tom Herman. Name another school in the Big 12 that is, that is doing what Oklahoma is doing on the recruiting level. You, you just, you're not seeing it. I mean, Texas wants to be that. They, they had a good, on paper, 2019 class, but Brew McCoy has blown that up by going back to, to USC. There's no way Texas has the top class in the Big 12 now. Just absolutely zero chance that Texas has the top class in the Big 12. And you're seeing smoke and mirrors. People try to duplicate, emulate what the University of Oklahoma is doing. But the reality is no one's recruiting better and more consistently than what OU is doing uh, right now. And you're just going to see that see that continue to grow, I believe, as Lincoln Riley continues to find success offensively. And now with Alex Grinch changing some things up defensively, all the defense needs is just a little bit of success, just a little bit of momentum to push them on uh, to, to get this type of recruiting success defensively that we're seeing from the University of Oklahoma offensively. I'm Matt Hofeld flying solo. Without my partner, Rich DeCray, you're listening to Sooner Nation, the online podcast for Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. All right, well, let's get down to the nitty-gritty of the frustration level. <laughs> One of the things that uh, we have been doing on the podcast is kind of going through and, and ranking the positions in the Big 12 uh, from worst to first. I, I, I want to take a break from that. Um, because I don't want to, I don't want to jump into that without uh, without uh, Rich DeCray jumping in here and helping me out. Next week, uh, we'll be in a position uh, where I can reach, connect back to him on the uh, on the interwebs. Uh, but right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere, Central America, and uh, just no chance of that happening. But so what I want to do is I want to take a break, time out from that. I want to talk about me personally as a fan. Um, my top five most frustrating moments as an Oklahoma football fan. Let me preface this with a couple of things. First of all, you know, we try to be in our coverage and the thing, the articles that we write, um, the things that we say, we tried to be as non-biased as possible. But when you are a fan of a program, bias sneaks through sometimes. But the reality is, um, we're not officially full-fledged members of the media. We, we get credentialed to some things. We have access to some people. But the reality is, at the end of the day, we're a website that was started by fans, for fans. And so we, we like to keep that. But we do try to be non-biased when it comes to, to certain things. 
But at the end of the day, we are fans. And as fans, we have our own levels of frustrations. And and I'm, I'm going to give you my top five with this Oklahoma football program. The second thing I want to preface this with, though, is saying that you could just say the John Blake era. Okay, now that's not going to make my top five because the John Blake era was so bad, such a bad three years of football that really most fans who were um, into football during during those years – um, they've kind of just forgotten that. That is a that's a distant memory that you tried to bury underneath. But as frustrating as the John Blake era was, and and those three years as as just as demoralizing as those were uh, as a fan, there are there to my in my experience there are five losses. There's more, but these are my top five losses. That just stick out. When I when I think about them, I still get irritated. I still get frustrated. Um, blood level, you know, blood pressure starts to boil uh, just a little bit. And um, and I, I'm just curious. I mean, you can hit us up on Twitter. We're on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Uh, just let us know what were your top five lo- uh, losses or frustrating moments. Here, here's mine. N- number five was the. Wh- I want. I guess I need to say one more thing. How crazy is it? I mean, we're we're 19 years into Oklahoma football coming this coming fall. How how crazy is it? There's a whole generation, almost two generations of people who don't remember the John Blake era. I mean, they're they're avid fans. They go to games, they watch the television, they follow us on Twitter, they look at other websites. But they don't remember how bad it was and 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 the frustrations that they experienced pale in comparison to those years of Howard Schnellenberger and John Blake and even Gary Gibbs if you want to go ahead of that. That said, here we go. Number five of my top five uh, worst football memories, most frustrating experiences, 2005 Oklahoma-Texas game. Sooners coming off of um, five consecutive years of winning the Red River rivalry, Red River shootout, whatever you choose uh, to call that. Not only did they lose this game, but they got absolutely blown out. Now, anybody who was familiar with that 2005 team, you kind of know you, you saw this coming. You Jason White and company leave after 2004. Uh, Red Bulmer takes over. You got a freshman quarterback. You've got a, a team that was – you know, starting over, re- rebuilding, so to speak, offensively, they were nothing like what they were 2003, 2004. They just get manhandled by an Oklahoma, by a, by a Texas team that goes on to end up winning the national championship that that season. But the the worst part about this experience for me, not not just the loss, not just the blowout, it was the first time I personally ever set on the Texas sideline. My tickets that year, they were Oklahoma tickets. Uh, there's, I'm sure there's people out there because there was a small section of us. We had tickets um, in the Texas end zone. There was just – I don't know what it was about that year. I don't, I don't even know if they still do it. I really haven't paid attention uh, recently. But they blocked off a, a, a small group of, of tickets – in the Texas end zone. And so we're completely surrounded by Texas fans while Oklahoma is absolutely getting thrashed at the Cotton Bowl. Hands down, the worst experience I've ever had 
in the OU, and all my years going to OU Texas games. This was absolutely the worst, and it makes my list number five uh, worst and frustrating, most frustrating memory for Oklahoma football. Number two um, is very similar in that it was on the road. The 2002 Bedlam game. Again, I'm going back in time for some people, but 2002 Bedlam, um, you'll remember Oklahoma is upset. Rashawn Woods, Oklahoma's upset 2001 in Norman. Rashawn Woods makes that catch in the north, excuse me, south end zone uh, to upset Oklahoma. 2002 Bedlam's in Stillwater. To get this ticket, I, I, as an OU fan, had to buy tickets to three different games for Oklahoma State just so I can get this Bedlam ticket. I bought the three-game the three game pack. I was able to sell the other games. One of them was Nebraska, I remember. I was able to sell those tickets for face value. I didn't lose any money on them. I'm just, you know, you go into that knowing you just know that Oklahoma is going to avenge that 2001 loss. But what happens? Well, Oklahoma doesn't win. I believe the final score in that game, I'm pretty sure that game – was like 38 to 28. Oklahoma State jumps out early. Oklahoma tries to make a comeback. Um, but man, that just worse loss uh, for me. Um, well, it's, uh, truthfully, it's the only time I've ever been to Stillwater for Bedlam. It's my first time and my only time as a fan to go to Bedlam in Stillwater. And uh, I'd been to I'd been to, to Oklahoma State games in the past. I'd been to conference games in the past, but never a Bedlam game. And man, I, I'm telling you guys, it it was just one of those things that still today. Funny story, side side note to that. This kid from Oklahoma State, you know, all the Oklahoma fans are leaving that game, uh, frustrated with the loss. Really, that 2002 season, you're kind of frustrated because there was potential on that team. You know, you. you you, they could, they were good. They could have been better. And you just kind of scratch your head, like, how did we just lose that game? Because, and if you're an Oklahoma fan, even the the years that the the few years that you've seen your team lose to Oklahoma State, you still feel like Oklahoma's the better program. And you're like, how did that just happen? How? Did, I mean, so you got all these Oklahoma fans walking out of the stadium. I remember Oklahoma State; they stormed the field. I remember they tore down the goalpost and then they carried the goalpost to the top of the stadium and they were going to throw it off the side before someone finally had enough common sense to say, this is a really bad idea. That said, walking back to the car and this guy has a uh, sign that he's made up for Oklahoma fans, basically just says, take your busted up vehicle back to Norman. But the dude misspelled the word vehicle. <laughs> he actually spelled it with a K even. Um, and so that kind of brought a little bit of joy back into my heart to see that and to be able to be a part of a mob that made fun of that dude and really shamed him to the point over his misspelled sign that he folded up the sign and left. So I guess that was one redeeming moment. But uh, 2005 Oklahoma-Texas game, number five on my list. 2002 Bedlam game, number four on my list. Number three on my list, uh, Big 12 championship game, 2003. You know this. Uh, Kansas State, 35-7 to was the final in that game. You, Oklahoma goes on because of the, the way the BCS system was organized back then. Oklahoma goes on to play in the BCS championship, loses to LSU in a game that was extremely competitive. But what you can't say is that 
the Big 12 championship was competitive. 35 to 7. Oklahoma, Darren Sproles ran, ran all over the Sooners that night. Um, just, it was a cold night in Kansas City. Probably one of the coldest games I've ever attended live and in person. Um, and just, just seeing Oklahoma, a national championship contending team who had been undefeated through the season, go into Kansas City and not have an answer for Darren Sproils just baffled me and frustrated me to see the amount of running Sproils was able to do on this Oklahoma defense and also how limited the Sooners were offensively that night. Frustration all around. That makes my list at number three. We're going to get to number two and number one here in just a minute. All right, here we go. Uh, back, welcome to Sooner Nation podcast. We're going to wrap this up real fast. Uh, top ten, uh, excuse me, top five most frustrating moments um, as an Oklahoma football fan. Uh, number five, I've got the uh, 2005 uh, Oklahoma Texas game. Number four, the 2002 Bedlam game, and number three, the 2003 Big 12 Championship. Uh, blows an undefeated season. Oklahoma still makes the BCS championship. Loses to LSU. Uh, number two. This could easily be number one, but I'm going to put it at number two. 2014 Bedlam game. This is the year of the repunt. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Oklahoma punts to Tyreek Hill. Penalty called on the play. Bob Stoops chooses to re-kick it. And what does Tyreek Hill do? Runs it back for a touchdown. Sends the game into overtime. Oklahoma ends up losing that game to Oklahoma State in Norman. In overtime, P- Samaje P. Ryan gets hurt in that game. And really, when Samaje P. Ryan goes down, so does Oklahoma's offense. Just you, you saw what what developed as a potential blowout for Oklahoma. And, and who doesn't like a good Bedlam blowout, right? You saw what, what, what potentially was going to be a Bedlam blowout kind of morph into a game that was too close for comfort morph into a game where Oklahoma lost all momentum, all control. And you know, with Samaj P right out, that game just got away from Oklahoma. The straw that broke the camel's back was Tyreek Hill on that punt return. I don't think there's anybody realistically was in the stands after Tyreek Hill runs that punt back. I really don't know that there's anybody there who thought, oh yeah, OU still has a chance here. OU's still going to win this game. It was completely and utterly all of the air sucked out of that stadium when Tyreek Hill goes streaking down the sideline. And, you know, as a, as a fan of, of a team that, that has seen Oklahoma's fair share of big time punt returns in that rivalry, it, it was frustrating to see it on the other side with, uh, with Tyreek Hill. Um, so that brings me to number one, the number one, uh, most frustrating moment for Oklahoma football on my list is the 2004 Orange Bowl. We talked about the 2003. We talked about uh, losing that Big 12 championship game to Kansas State going on and, and ultimately losing the Sugar Bowl uh, to LSU. But not a lot of people, in fact, <clears throat> I don't know that anybody really saw 55-19 to 19 coming in that Orange Bowl against USC following the 2000 um, in three season um, that 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 game that that loss I see I following the 2004 season that loss left a significant 
void for a lot of Oklahoma fans. There, there was a lot of people who, who, who were confident and should have been confident. That was a good team. You go back and you look at that, the, the, the names, both offensively and defensively that were on that 2004 squad. That was a good team. Jason White coming back off of a Heisman trophy season. I mean, Adrian Peterson as a freshman, that, 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 that team was really, really good. And and we we I started this podcast talking about Oklahoma getting demolished by US, uh, by UCLA in the that opening game of the championship series. UCLA wasn't 13 runs better than Oklahoma, and and USC was not 55 to 19 better than Oklahoma. But once things started going south, they started going south in a hurry. First and only time in my life I've ever left the game before it's over with. I'm that guy that, first of all, confession, I'm that guy who stands up a lot. If there's a big play, I'm standing up. If it's a moment, where, if it's a moment in the game where you need some crowd noise, you need some, you know, just an anxious moment. I'm standing up. I am that fan. I am that fan who never leaves the game early. I don't care if there's one minute. If they're in victory formation, guess what? I want to see victory formation. That's who I am. First and only time I've ever left a game early was this Orange Bowl because I, it just honestly, it reached a point. It reached a point where I mean I've just I, I had enough. I just I didn't need. It. I'm in Miami, Florida. There's lots to do in Miami, Florida, other than watch your team just utterly get pasted by Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush. And that's exactly what was going on on the field where there's so much other things that were going on outside that stadium. I left in the fourth quarter. There was maybe 10 minutes left in the game, and I decided uh, no no more of this for me. So Matt was out. Uh, so there it is, my, my top five uh, my top five most frustrating moments as an Oklahoma football fan. Love to hear from you. If you have any thoughts uh, on that, maybe some of your your top uh, most frustrating moments as well. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, it's an abbreviated version of the podcast this week. Um, next week, we'll be back uh, connected with Rich. We'll go the the, the full distance. But um, thanks, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, you catch us on Twitter at Sports Heartland, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Uh, Heartland-sports.com is where you can find our content with Oklahoma baseball, Oklahoma softball, spring sports now officially coming to a close. Uh, re- recruiting takes uh, takes precedent uh, during the dog days of summer as well as you start looking at football and previewing some some football things. So that's something that Oklahoma fans need to uh to to keep up with heartland-sports.com is where you can find it as we continue to not only cover oklahoma football recruiting but also look at previewing not just oklahoma but the competition through the big 12 as the days of summer wear on thanks again for listening have a great week boomer sooner everybody